according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Join me, if you would, in Proverbs chapter 11. I believe we're going to wrap up the chapter today. Did I say that last week? Uh, We are in verse 28, and uh, we've read most of those verses already. And then uh, we've got 29 through 31 to go. Um, Sub point F, we've got G, H, and I. So we'll see what happens there if, uh, if we can finish that in this present hour then that means next week we can move on to proverbs chapter 12 before we get started let's take a moment for silent prayer asking god to bless our time of study to hedge us about and protect us shall we pray (coughs) heavenly father we do come before you this morning just thankful for how faithful you are and uh, you watch over us, Father, in your faithfulness. We want to thank you for that. At the same time, Father, we are mindful of the times in which we are living. And uh, we're observing things here in recent days that are just hard to explain, Father. It's, there's uh, very angry people out there and marches and things that are happening. Acts of violence are being conducted. And, and it's hard to explain rationally in human terms. And all I can con- conclude father is a lot of it's not rational it's not human it's demonic there's spiritual wrath out there and father uh, all we can do is take these matters before you and call upon your faithfulness to hedge us about and protect us hinder any darkness and any of the any folks that would want to come in here and bring us to harm father be faithful be powerful and uh, and allow for our time of study today to be such that uh, in tranquility and peace that we can study to show ourselves approved we can worship your son father that we can uh, accomplish your purpose here today and i thank you in jesus christ most precious and holy name amen all righty in um, proverbs chapter 11 we've got we're kind of did the same thing in chapter 10 we've done something similar i think in in many of these chapters we reach a certain point and we realize that we're going to kind of take the remainder of the chapter and put it under a single point of study and uh, so that's what we've done here as well uh, under main point 12 and so taking uh, verses 16 through 31 the second half of the chapter and uh, realizing and, and in fact commented upon by the bible knowledge commentary that the second half of this chapter all seem to refer in some way to uh, the rewards of righteousness and kind living righteousness and kind living and 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 it's true as you look at these verses uh, we have this contrast between kindness and and cruelty uh, righteousness and unrighteousness it is a common theme throughout proverbs anyway in general and uh, but in these verses we see a, a concentration of it Uh, And so as we're looking at kindness and we're looking at being nice, uh, I just put on the slide a word of caution, my own warning. Uh, This practical theology is often counterfeited, and we want to be aware of that. Uh, There is a crowd out there that would try to counterfeit the Christian way of life with their own reasonable facsimile. (laughs) And a theology of be nice is not theology when it comes right down to it. Uh, And there's just too much of that in this day and age. And there are entire churches and denominations that have gone that road, that have gone down the path of what's called moralistic therapeutic deism. And we don't want to be there, all right? And if they have a philosophy, if they have a 
a, uh, a lifestyle that they think is, is just as good as ours because they're moral, they're more moral than us. Well, wait a minute. They're, they're defining their own morality. And so, yeah, they're moral in their own eyes, but what is that? Okay? That's the book of Judges. It's not the book of Proverbs. <laughs> and we don't want to do what's right in our own eyes. We want to be walking the, the walk of righteousness that wisdom leads us in. And so uh, anybody that's engaged in a personal morality apart from the absolute standard of God's Word, it's not, it's not uh, the plan of God. It's not the will of God. And we want to be, uh, we want to be aware of that. And so we've come through uh, subpoints A, B, C, D, and E, and uh, we left off with subpoint F, and the principle that riches cannot be trusted. And when we look at it here, um, it's uh, curious to me. Okay, if we if we stop the sentence, whoops, don't do that. If we stop the sentence after riches cannot be trusted, um, we got to stop and say, well, wait a minute. Yes, riches can be trusted. Okay, and that's the problem. Uh, actually, they can be trusted. We're told not to trust in, in riches. Um, but if you make the statement that they can't be trusted in because they'll let you down, I think that that misses the point. Yes, they let you down, but that doesn't mean they can't be trusted in. You can trust in a bad object. You can trust in something that lets you down again and again and again and again. And uh, we'll be into you for doing that, but uh, you can do it. And that's why we're warned not to. And so we look at verse 28 here and it says, he who trusts in his riches will fall. Well, yeah, that's the consequence. So don't do it. Don't do it. Um, but the righteous will flourish like the green leaf. And so the fact that they can be trusted is part of what's built in to every command that says don't do something. All right? Don't do something. And it's, it's a point of application not only here, but I think in other uh, doctrines as well, other realms of study. Uh, I've had this debate with uh, people related to divorce, the doctrine of divorce. Uh, because the Bible says don't do it. Right? The Bible says uh, to not part asunder. What God has joined together, let no man part asunder. And uh, there's a tendency, too many people misread that or they have a theology that demands that when they read, let no man part asunder, the way they read that is no man can part asunder, that it's impossible to part asunder, that we in our humanity can't possibly break apart what God and His sovereignty has put together. And sadly, they're misreading that. The Scripture doesn't say that, that we can't do it. Scripture tells us not to do it. And because it tells us not to do it, it's quite clear that we can. And, and we're told not to, see. And, and so we do this with every single compa- command in Scripture, every imperative. Thou shalt not murder means that you can murder, but you're told not to. Thou shalt not commit adultery means you are capable of doing it, so don't. Thou shalt, I mean, any thou shalt not. Built into that, obviously, is the, is the recognition that we have the capacity to do, to do this. And so if we say, thou shalt not trust in riches, <laughs> all right, we're telling you it's a bad idea. Don't do it. It violates the will of God. Because if you do, here's the consequences. It will let you down. And when you're trusting in riches, you're, you're placing money as an idol above God. And we're to have no gods before Him. We cannot serve God in mammon. And so uh, these are the principles as we have it there. And we looked at all those scriptures. Uh, we actually ran out of time uh, because I got bogged down in, in uh, Psalm 49 and Psalm 52. Um, we didn't get to Psalm 52 yet because I got so bogged down in Psalm 49. So uh, let's not get bogged down again. <laughs> I could say, hey, let's turn back to Psalm 49 and spend more time in it. Uh, no, let's go to Psalm 52. 
And uh, you can read Psalm 49 again and again at your own leisure. But Psalm 52 and verse 7. Um, Behold the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches. So here clearly this is spelling out what I just said. Anytime you're going to decide that money is your faith, you've by default, you've abandoned the Lord. You've said, nope, God's not good enough, or no, I can handle this. And, uh, and that's what you're doing here. And, and really, when you see why verse 7 fits where it fits in, in this context and what follows there in, in, in verses 1 through 6, you see, uh, you see it for what it is. Um, backing up into verse 1, this is uh, when Doug the Edomite came. Good thing Doug's not here today. I'm going to pick on Doug. When Doug the Edomite, okay, Doeg is maybe the better Hebrew pronunciation, but um, I call him Doug just because I like Doug. Doug the Edomite came and told Saul and said to him, David has come to the house of Abimelech. So David's on the run, he's a fugitive, and now Doug is the, is the betrayer here. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The loving kindness of God endures all day long. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, O worker of deceit. And so we see the outworking of, of Doug, we see the outworking of this evil worker and how it is, uh, how it is expressed. You love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right. And, and clearly it's the behavior that's, that's, that's uh, created on the basis of the character. As we think, so we do. As we are, so we live. And it's that evil that's producing these things. So you love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right. Well, no wonder that he's, he's trusting in wealth, he's trusting in love, trusting in these things. All right? Speak of the devil. All right. So we're, we're reading about Doug the, uh, the Edomite here in Psalm 52. And um, you love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. Why do you love those words? Why do you adopt such a vocabulary? Why, do you, uh, why, why is it your practice that, uh, that your words can devour and cut down and tear down and, and you know, take care that you, when you bite and chew and devour one another, that you don't consume one another, because that's what happens. Chewing leads to swallowing, and then where are you in, uh, in that? But God will break you down forever. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see in fear and will laugh at him. All right? And will laugh at him. And, and, there's a place for this. This is sanctified. We're not talking about rejoicing in someone's misfortune. We're not talking about mocking and ridiculing and going, ha, 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 look at you. Oh, ha, 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 look at you. Okay? You've got to have the right attitude on this. You can't plunge into something ugly, something carnal, something dark, right? We're not going to be like those hideous uh, legalists in the, in the, the Westboro Baptist. You know what I'm talking about? And, they, and they, they, they march and they crusade and they get ugly as anything. You know, point, point a finger at, a, at an AIDS victim and say, ha, 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 you're getting what you deserve, you, you dirty, rotten, homo, whatever. I mean, they're just vile in what they do, okay? Having said that, what is the response on the part of believers who can share in the glory of God when, in fact... The reaping occurs to such that it does. And I think that's what we have here, okay? On a, on a, on a sanctified basis, 
with God's attitude. He's taking no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but he is glorified in all that he has done. And so we want to glorify without the pleasure. If there is a laughter, is it a righteous laughter? So the righteous see it in fear. While it's going on, we have a perspective where we are in the fear of the Lord, right? Look to yourself lest you too stumble. If you're going to restore such a one, looking to yourself lest you too stumble, right? So while it's happening, we see it and we fear. Then comes the time of laughter. And uh, that's what happens here because God has broken them down, snatched you up from the tent, uh, uprooted them from the land of the living. All right? So uh, they're gone. And there it is. And so what's the laughter about? What's the laughter about? Why, why, when he who, in, he who is in the heaven laughs, do we join him in that laughter? Do we have the capacity for that? And how do we laugh on a sanctified basis without plunging into something ugly? Saying, Behold, the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, and was strong in his evil desire. But as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. So we join in the laughing, but we join in the laughing still with the humility, with the fear of the Lord, with the, with the but as for me confession. And I think it requires a lot of humility to be able to do this, where the laughing is sanctified. I think, you know, there's lots of ways to laugh, right? Sarah laughed, Abraham laughed, they both laughed. Why was she called out for the carnality of her laughing? Why was Abraham not called out? Because his laughing is in faith, right? Romans specifically says, this commentary says that he did not grow weak in faith. His laughing was a faith laughter. And that's different from Sarah's non-faith laughter. She even denied that she laughed. And so uh, I think these are aspects that we want to consider. I think if, if, he, if God's laughing, we should be laughing with him. If if, if what does the scripture say? If any of you have a different attitude, God will also show that to you. I don't want to have a different attitude than what God has. If he's laughing, I want to laugh. But I want to laugh for the same reasons with the right mental attitude, with the right standpoint. I don't want to laugh with something dark, or something carnal. And so I think the laughing, uh, to be sanctified, not only identifies the reaping and sowing and the consequences and the glory of God in what happens there, but also in the grace of God that kept me from going to the same place. The grace of God that said, you know what? That should be me too. Praise God it's not. You know, had His grace not saved me, I'd have been right there and worse. And I still, even though I am saved by grace through faith, I can go carnal. I can, uh, I can, I can commit sins. I can do the things I did as an unbeliever. I could do if, if it wasn't for the grace of God. If it wasn't for the transformation of my thinking... And, uh, and so forth. So as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. Well, that's, that's, that's the secret right there, isn't it? Because the tree has to keep the roots. The tree has to keep growing. The tree has to keep operating as a tree. Green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. <laughs> so you're going to trust in riches. You're going to trust in the chesed loving kindness of God. Obviously for us, it's a no-brainer, Right? this is why we should be laughing. We want to laugh in a sanctified way. All right, two final passages on this, Mark 10, 25. Mark 10, 25. 
<coughs> Excuse me. And so um, Jesus, looking around, verse twenty-three, said to the disciples, "And this, this is uh, the rich young ruler here, right?" Verses seventeen and following. Uh, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And uh, do you know the commandments? Verse 20, he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. He's a pretty good guy. He's moral. He has a human righteousness. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Man. So there's a sampling of the Ten Commandments, and, and he's kept them, at least that sampling. And uh, looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. And this is a marvelous text because it's not true. Is Jesus lying to him? Okay? It's not true. This man cannot earn the kingdom of heaven by giving all that he has. But Jesus said he could. All right? So is Jesus a liar? What's happening here? And it's a marvelous illustration. I think it's better than Rahab the harlot. I think it's better than any other sanctified liar in the Bible. Okay? A believer who makes a statement that is factually inaccurate, but he's doing so on an instruction basis. He's doing so to make a point. He's doing so to illustrate. He's speaking facetiously. All right? And that's... Uh, that's a, um, so what's the difference between a lie and a joke? <laughs> what's the difference between a lie and a, and, uh, well, I was just kidding, okay? Well, Proverbs says you've got to be careful doing that. And here's our Savior setting the example, okay? Because he knows the man's not going to be able to do this. He's going to break his heart. He's going to go away d- depressed. And this is what happens here. At these words, he was sad, and then he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And I believe that, that prophetically, in, in his prophetic office, that he received the instruction from the Father. He says, you know, when this rich man ruler comes to you and wants to know how he can earn eternal life, tell him this is what he must do. Because he's not using omniscience to know this. He's, he's speaking as a prophet here. And so he says, go and sell all your possessions, give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, come and follow me. And he uses that to make the point and I think it's a powerful point. Any, anybody who, who thinks they have a works-based approach will eventually find something where they fall. Something. They'll, you'll have some realm. You can keep 99 commands and lose one. You've broken the whole law. All right? Everybody has something where you fall short in. For him, it was money. For us, it, who knows? Whatever it is. That's why the human effort approach doesn't, doesn't uh, cut the mustard. Anyway, based on that then, it's time now to teach the disciples. Time to teach the disciples. He's going to make sure that they get the point, that they get the message. See, So Jesus looking around said to the disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And this is, this is the problem because money can be trusted. And those who have a lot of it think they've got a basis for trusting it. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Anyway, this is the, the context on it here. 
easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And I think that's the the verse that pinpoints what we're trying to say here in Proverbs 11 is that wealth can be trusted. That's why it's so serious. That's why we better not. Um, The longer we trust in it, I think the, the greater damage gets done. All right. And then, of course, 1 Timothy 6, 17. At a certain point, I think when, maybe when the Proverbs class is over, I'll go back over all the Proverbs notes and count up how many times in the course of teaching Proverbs did we turn to 1 Timothy 6, 17? You know, if it's, if it's under 20, I'll feel good. If it's, because uh, we, we, get, we get here a lot. And um, if we get here more than 20 times, then I'll say, okay, it was probably redundant and maybe... Uh, Maybe not the best, but anyway, it's a favorite passage for me, so you're stuck with it. First Timothy six seventeen, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. So there's two problems there. This is why when you're trusting in riches, it's, it's going to damage your ability to trust in God because there's two issues here: conceit. And then once you're down that road of pride, it's game over. I mean, what else are you going to do after that? But then the uh, so conceit is mentioned as, as number one issue, and then to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Your your hope is then fixed. You've made your bed. You're stuck. I mean, that's what you place your confidence in. You've that's where the die has been cast. And so you went that road, and now, well, the uncertainty lifts up its head. But what are you going to do now? So instruct them to fix their hope on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And so uh, is there uncertainty with God or is there enjoyment with God? <laughs> okay, Fixing your hope on riches, there's uncertainty. Fixing your hope on God, there's joy. And the enjoyment with what He gives. And the satisfaction with what He gives. So we're not all grumbling and mumbling about, well, it should be more, or I'm going to lose this, or I'm not satisfied with this. No, whatever the, whatever the, the capacity is that He's provided, that's for your enjoyment. Anyway, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And in in so doing then, what are you doing? Storing up for themselves treasure of a good foundation for the future. That's how you lay up treasure in heaven. All right? But those that are rich in this present world that have fixed their hope on riches, they're not ready to share. Oh my. No, they're hoarding. They're, uh, they're, They're doing everything they can to hold on to everything they can. All these things. Anyway, there's the the instructions there. Don't fix your hope on riches. That's uncertainty. Fix your hope on God. And there's the the enjoyment. All right, so that's point F. Point G, family trouble. Family trouble. Let me go back to Proverbs now. And for point G, we're looking at verse 29. He who troubles his own house will inherit wind. And the foolish will be servant to the wise-hearted. All right, so here's a passage that deals with family issues. Point G, family trouble reflects a wisdom deficiency and carries an inheritance consequence. Family trouble reflects a wisdom deficiency and carries an inheritance consequence. Proverbs 11, 29 and additional proverbs that we're going to see beyond that plus some illustrations 
I think we've got some good illustrations in Genesis and Habakkuk. But notice the, the poetry now in verse 29. First half of the verse, it's he who troubles his own house. Second half of the verse, the foolish. All right? The foolish. So we've got a wisdom deficiency that's being portrayed in the two halves of these verses as we put them together. Then we have inheritance. We have the consequences. In the second half of the first verse, or I'm sorry, the second, uh, when you take verse 29, you break it down into two halves here. The second part, he who troubles his own house, what happens? What's the consequence? He will inherit wind. That's the outcome. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and the lawyer reads off the will and you find out, oh, wow, I get wind. Okay. Color me excited. <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right. Well, there it goes because that's what wind does. All right. Um, and the second part of the, the foolish here, the foolish will be servant to the wise hearted. What is, uh, what is the relationship status in the next generation moving forward? Because as long as, uh, until that will is executed, until that will is executed, we got one set of circumstances. And then after the will is executed, it's, it seems to be flipped. It seems to me that the, uh, the wise-hearted here, who is not the foolish son, the wise-hearted ends up with the, uh, with the estate, ends up with the wealth. And if he ends up with the wealth, what's the fool going to end up with? He may end up being the servant. He might end up being the chauffeur because the chauffeur was the one that had all the wisdom that inherited the, the millions and then offers the knucklehead a job to, to be his driver and says, you know, stick around and get some wisdom as a, as a possible illustration here. So family trouble. So what does it mean to trouble your house? What does it mean to be the black sheep of the family? What does it mean to be the family member that because they are not operating in wisdom, they're the ones that are bringing grief to the father, heartache to the mother. They're the ones that are bringing turmoil when it shouldn't be there. If the family is all saved, if the family is all occupied with the word of God, if the family is all growing in grace and knowledge, well, then that spiritual wisdom should be reflected in the temporal family with blessings and benefits and so forth. But when that breaks down, what's the consequence? What happens with the, the black sheep? What happens with the renegade? What happens with the one that, that runs off and defies Scripture and lives the unbiblical lifestyle and, and just brings grief to the parents, shame to the family? Uh, is there a consequence with respect to the inheritance? Is there a consequence? Do they get written out of the will? Okay. Now keep in mind, we're not illustrating with, with human viewpoint. We're, we're reading the, the verse right here. He who troubles his own house will inherit wind. That's to be expected. That is the normal operation particularly with respect to a covenant nation that is called upon to, to model the wisdom of God. And, and that their, their very inheritance is the inheritance of the glory of God. The land grant and, and, and the, the portion that's assigned to every tribe and every clan and every family. Do you want that, that plot of land to go to this, this renegade who's, who's not glorifying Yahweh? All right. 
And so it's interesting, see. And we're not talking about, you know, anything human. We're not talking about, you know, daddy getting his feelings hurt so he writes them out of the will just because he's, he's, you know, subjectively mad at a kid. It's on a spiritual basis that this is happening. And there may be somebody else, the wise-hearted, that ends up reaping a double portion whereby the one who was written out of the will um, is now assigned on a, on a servant basis. All right, so there's consequences, inheritance consequences. Not the only chapter that deals with it. Um, chapter 13 and verse 22. Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. A couple of principles there. All right. Um, and we'll deal with this in chapter 13. But there's a couple of principles that are at work there. First of all, the, the normal operation of what we want to do. Do you want to leave uh, massive debts everywhere where our kids are, are saddled with all kinds of trouble after we're gone? Or do we want to leave a, a blessing to them? And beyond the, the physical funds, of course, we have a spiritual heritage where we're passing to our children as well, related to uh, the Word of God and, and uh, ministry um, blessings. So there's that. Not only to children, but children's children, right? Recognizing that these 12 sons are also tribes and that their, their sons become clans and that uh, the inheritance ought to be such to be divided among the children and among the next generation as well. That was the pattern we had in Jacob when he blessed his tribes. But then the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. <laughs> okay, More principles that we'll see in some different applications as well. Uh, if someone that uh, is written out of the will, well then who, who, uh, who gets the double portion and what happens there? Or on another application, why do we have all these filthy rich unbelievers? Why does God let them get filthy stinking rich? Well, what happens to their funds after they're gone? And what does God use those funds for in the next generation and the generation after and the generation after? What does God do there? Why is the wealth of the sinner stored up for the righteous? Different things. There's, there's uh, applications to be found there. But Proverbs gives us principles for why a believer with divine viewpoint ought to structure his, his uh, estate in the way that he does. And what should be the priorities in in, uh, in what is bequeathed and what is given and what is honored and what is glorifying to Jesus Christ. And is it, um, does it reflect divine viewpoint or does it simply reflect human viewpoint? Does it reflect uh, subjectivity? Does it reflect something? You see, that's what I'm saying. Too many times I think people uh, misapply or abuse these things and they do so for the wrong reasons, and then it's something that's very ugly and dark. But it should be very uh, beautiful and light and glorious and in keeping with the Word of God. See? It's not hate. Anyway. Um, am I making sense? I'm trying to be speak in general terms and not... Because, uh, you know, my family's got... got things okay and uh and my wife's family and and my brother's family and other other things 
All right? In every family. I'm not the most dysfunctional family on earth. We just, we just put the fun in dysfunctional sometimes, I, I wonder. But, so, um, you know, the wise son is a, is a delight to his father. The foolish son, of course, is a grief to his mother. And this is what we've got to deal with. With biblical norms and standards. And, uh, and that. All right. Let's look at uh, 15.27. Proverbs 15.27. He who profits illicitly troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. So here's a clue. Here's something that will bring shame upon a house. Here's something that brings about the trouble, same verb, same term that we have in chapter 11 today. What is, does it mean to trouble a house? What does it mean, uh, you know, if, uh, if uh, your son shows up at the door and he's hiding, he's troubled. Well, this was like a movie quote years ago, or a movie plot, right? And um, loan sharks are after him. <laughs> and he, he needs... He needs $20,000 right away or, or they're going to kill him. Okay? So what, is the, what does the grandpa do? Right? He's got other adult sons. He's got other adult daughters. He's got other, you know. What do you do? You love your kid. You don't want the loan sharks to kill him. What do you do? Uh, you got these, these uh, criminal enterprises. You're profiting illicitly. Okay? You're running some kind of, uh, you're, you're a drug dealer. You know, what are you doing? And, and, and that, that has issues, okay? There's problems there. You're taking bribes? You know, what about the, the, the consequences to the family when, when these things happen? So we have a description of it there, okay? I think it's pretty practical in that aspect. Chapter 17, verse 2 and verse 6. A servant who acts wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully. <laughs> you know, guess what? The, the father in his will decides, yeah, my, uh, my, my chauffeur, my butler, my whatever, my employee had a whole lot more wisdom than my own son did. You know, so am I going to hand the business off to this knucklehead? Or uh, it seems to me that uh, this guy ought to be the new chief executive officer because uh, he's more faithful than, you know, my, my, my kid's an idiot. Okay, he's going to ruin the whole. He's going to ruin the whole business. So uh, the servant who acts wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share in the inheritance among brothers, and uh, to be given a name as a brother. See, this is something that happened. Uh, Joseph's sons were exalted and promoted. They were treated as full sons, not treated as grandsons. They were treated as full sons. That's why Manasseh and Ephraim became co-equal tribes with every other tribe, with all their uncles. They weren't treated as clans. They weren't treated as grandsons within, you know, clans within the tribe of Joseph. They each you know, got tribal status. That's, a, that's extraordinary. All right. Uh, same chapter, down to verse 6. Grandchildren are the crown of old men and the glory of sons is their, uh, is their father. So again, we're talking about the next generation and the... the uh, you don't want to be causing trouble. Don't want to be the family troublemaker. That reflects a wisdom deficiency. 
Now, we've got some examples of this. Uh, what's happening in Gen- Genesis 34.30? What's happening in Genesis 49.7? What's happening in Habakkuk? Um, you probably know these without turning there, but just in case. Genesis 34. Ugly chapter. <laughs> okay? Ugly, ugly chapter. Remember, Jacob had 12 sons and one daughter. Daughter's name was Dinah, right? Someone's in the kitchen with Dinah. And um, Shechem. Now here's a Gentile. And uh, he rapes her. This is, this is horrendous, right? Um, but then afterwards, he, re- he has his regret and he, he, um, he comes to love her. And we're told that. Verse 3, he was deeply attracted to Dinah. His, he, he raped her in verse 2. And then verse 3, deeply attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. Okay, so we're not at all condoning the rape. But we're saying that afterwards, there was a change of thinking. What the Bible calls repentance, a change of heart. There is a love on a soul level. He even uses the term soul, being knit to her soul. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, get me this young girl for a wife. Okay? You know, there's some marriages start terrible ways. Um, but he wants to be honorable. He wants to get his father involved to do the proper thing to arrange for the marriage with between Hamor and Jacob. And uh, these aspects here. And in, anyway, um, they're going to hash it out. So Jacob heard what had happened with Dinah, and uh, but the, the boys hadn't heard. The sons were with the livestock in the field, so Jacob kept silent until they came in. Then Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons came in. They heard about it. They became very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel. And uh, <coughs> mm, Thank you. Pardon me. Tried to keep that off the recording. We'll see. <laughs> um, all right. So verse 8, Hamor spoke with them saying, the soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him in marriage. Intermarry with us. Give your daughters to us. Take our daughters for yourselves. Thus you shall live with us. Anyway, this is the, the arrangement that they're coming to. Very normal in the ancient world. The, uh, the intermarriage here and the, the linking of the families and the clans. And... Um, Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, if I find favor in your sight, then I will give whatever you say to me. Ask me ever so much bridal payment and gift. I will give according as you say to me, but give me the girl in marriage. Okay, and so this is, this is a blank check. This is, this is extraordinarily gracious, right? When there's certain uh, dowries that, that a virgin is entitled to and certain dowries that a non-virgin, um, a concubine would be entitled to in different ways. I mean, she's going to get... The, 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 she's going to demand the highest price here because of the, the defilement, because of the rape and, and the consequences on that. Um, anyway, we taught this years ago in the Life of Jacob series, and it's, a, it's an interesting chapter. Um, what ends up happening here is they, they end up going in and murdering everybody. And uh, they submit to the, to the circumcision ritual and during their physical uh, weakness and recovery, uh, while they are physically disabled, <laughs> not not fit for battle in the uh, the days following the circumcision, um, 
two of the boys, Levi and Simeon, go in and just do a wholesale massacre of, uh, of the city. And, uh, all right, so let's look at the, the verse I'm really headed for, <laughs> okay? All of that's the background. But now notice, because if we, if we, we're so alien to the ancient world and our modern outlook on things, I, I think we, 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 would, we would laugh at Jacob's response and say, well, that's ridiculous. But putting yourself in the ancient world, this is no laughing matter, okay? So, um, Here's the massacre, here's the, the murder. They kill every male in Genesis uh, 34, 25. Um, they kill every male. They killed Hamor and Shechem with the edge of the sword. They took Dinah from Shechem's house. They came upon the slain and looted the city because they had defiled their sister. They took flocks and herds and donkeys and which was done in the city. Okay? Now again, not to, I'm not minimizing the rape of verse 2. I'm not condoning it. I'm not minimizing it. But this seems like a whole lot more sin happening here in this verse, okay? Murders and plunder and, and, and man, so does that make it better? And uh, so they captured and looted all the wealth, all their little ones, all their wives, even all that was in the house. So you got all these widows and, and, and plunder, including the, the women and the children. What are they going to do with all them? And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the men being... Fe- so here's the thing. Now, we, now I've, I've heard people laugh at this and, and, and failing to understand, yeah, you killed all these people and now I have a problem, okay? But this is what he's saying and this is very much true. This is very much what he does have a problem. They have brought trouble to him because the actions of a man reflect upon his family, upon his clan, and upon his tribe. And so right now, Jacob's got big trouble. Jacob has heat big trouble, okay? Because Jacob is Israel. And anything these Israelites do reflects on him. And now, the, uh, the, the massacre of Shechem is going to bring about reprisals. If you know anything about tribal culture, uh, there's there's blood feuds, there's there's payback, there's revenge. Uh, you know, and Islam to this day is a, is a tribal culture that that has no end to their uh, you know to their blood feuds. And so, notice by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, Perizzites, and my men being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me. And I will be destroyed, I and my household. In other words, all of these ites that are interrelated, that are strict allies, starting with these first two, we can't fight them all. We're not going to trick them into circumcising themselves in the night before battle. <laughs> okay? Uh, we're outnumbered, and they're fit for war, and we're, we're doomed. All right. And they said, well, should he treat our sister as a harlot? All right, well... Those are the issues. Family trouble reflects a wisdom deficiency. A wisdom deficiency carries an inheritance consequence. And so when you go to chapter 49 and verse 7, you see the inheritance consequence. There's other inheritance consequences. In verse 3, there's inheritance consequences to Reuben. 
Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might in the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power. So why is he not uh, receiving the, the leadership of the nation? Why does it go to Judah? Well, because uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. You defiled it. He went up to my couch. And so you, can, that, you get that in Genesis 35, another ugly story. And uh, there's trouble to the family and there's inheritance consequence. Uh, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their counsel. You know, a father should have fellowship with his sons. A father ought to have capacity to hey, say, hey, let's look at this passage. Let's fellowship in truth. And the son, uh, if he doesn't have capacity for that, that becomes a problem. Or if the father doesn't have capacity for that, that's a problem. And, you know, how much fellowship could they have when uh, Le- Levi and Simeon were in there murdering everybody and enslaving their wives and their children and aspects there? Let, let not my glory be united with their assembly, because in their anger they slew men, and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And so what was the, inherited, what was the uh, heritage like? See, now later on, well, the Levitical cities, what were they? They were scattered all throughout the, the, uh, the 12 tribes. And uh, Simeon was uh, surrounded by, uh, by Judah territory. All right. And so then Judah, the fourth-born son, is the one who gets the preeminence of the tribes. Preeminence of then, of course, Jesus is born of Judah, is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So there is a wisdom deficiency for bring, uh, that's reflected in the bringing trouble to the family, and it carries an inheritance consequence. All right, Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Whoever turns to Habakkuk. All right, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Haggai. Where's Habakkuk? Habakkuk. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. See what happens? Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Jonah, Micah, Habakkuk. This is pathetic. Nahum, Habakkuk, there we go. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. See, I chicken out, I go to Logos, I type in Habakkuk 2, 9, boom. (laughs) Isn't that pathetic? All right. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. What do we see in Proverbs 17? Same thing. This is the one that brings trouble, the illicit gain. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to put his nest on high, to be delivered from the hand of calamity. See, all we got to do is compromise. All we got to do is do this and do that, and then we're set. Okay? Again, movie plots. (laughs) Just one more heist, and then I'm walking away from this life of crime forever. Right? One more crime. I don't really want to do it, but I need to. My kid has medical bills, so okay, I'll go back to the safe-cracking business, you know. But one more time, and then I'm out. Last time, and then I'm out, right? I mean, it's, how many movie plots are like this? He's, gonna, he's giving up his life of crime because he wants to go straight, but just, okay, one more. And then we're set. Oh, we're set for life. And I never have to do this again. 
Yeah. You have devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples. So you are sinning against yourself. Notice the, 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 um, the, the um, harm to your family is sinning against yourself. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall. The rafter will answer it from the framework. You know? The Lord came down. He's looking for, looking for Abel. And he said what? He said the blood was crying out from the ground. There's witnesses. Cain thought he got away with it. No witnesses. So here you're building a house. And, and uh, Habakkuk says, you know what? The, the building materials, you know, if these walls could speak, well, maybe they will speak if God tells them to. <laughs> okay the stones will cry out from the wall and the rafter will answer from the framework the building material says do you know what earned the money to, to build this place nothing that glorified jesus christ so uh, so woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts that peoples toil for fire and nations grow weary for nothing? And so, you know, you talk about these things. Um, do, does, uh, do the ends justify the means? Does it matter how you do something as long as the outcome is good and, and you, can, you can make money from it? Wait a minute. <laughs> okay. What does the scripture say? And, uh, and who's, who are you hurting what violence are you inflicting? And so, yeah, you're trying to do something good, but what harm are you doing in the meantime? Anyways, we're approaching uh, the millennial kingdom. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And when Jesus Christ reigns, you talk about perfect government, where the right things are done in the right way, and where everything is a win-win, where the structure is, is, is uh, such that Everyone is built up and blessed. Anyway, these are the kind of things I try to talk about with people when I want to talk about capitalism versus socialism. When I want to talk about what's the win-win where each party to the transaction is better. And what is a win-lose where somebody is harmed so that government can help somebody else. Okay, Because it's it's bigger than just a, a debate in the earthly realm. It comes back to God's design. God's design. And if somebody else is going to pay the price, they have to be willing to pay that price and they have to do so of their own free will. Jesus paid the price on the cross and he chose to do so of his own free will. And so what we reap in our salvation is free to us because he voluntarily paid that price. Anyway, that's... um, that's a message for a different day. <laughs> anyway, Habakkuk. If we could bring him back to earth and preach this. Oh, I guess it's already in Scripture, so we should just preach it ourselves. Huh? All right, related to that. Verses 9 and 10 there in that, in that section. So, family troubles. Back to Proverbs 11. We've covered verse 28, verse 29. We've got two more verses to go, 30 and 31. Points H and G. <laughs> no, H and I. Okay, H and I. And uh, we won't do this today. Yeah, I'm a real optimist. Um, 
All right, verse 30. Proverbs 11, verse 30. The, fr- uh, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. What's this tree of life about? Access to the tree of life. I thought that was revoked. Didn't they get revoked at Adam's fall? So point H, access to the tree of life was revoked at Adam's fall. It will be restored on the new earth. Yet even now, even now, a tree of life is manifested through the word of God lived out in the believer's life. All right? There is a, there's, there's, there's things to, to dwell upon in this point right here, and, and I want to just rush through it in eight minutes. I want to I wanna camp on this slide and, and consider. What does it mean to be a tree of life? Why is it mentioned so many times in Proverbs? Search all of the scriptures for tree of life. You know what you're going to find? Genesis 3, where they're excluded from it. Genesis 22, when it gets replanted. And how many times does it get mentioned in between? Proverbs, right there. Okay. Right, Revelation 22. Did I say something? Oh, forget that. You knew what I meant. And you're reading the slide. Genesis 3, verses 22 and 24. Revelation 22, verses 2, 14, and 19. And then uh, four, uh, four references in the book of Proverbs. And it's interesting to me. How do I manifest a tree of life? And what was the, what's the fruit of the tree of life designed to do? And what's the fruit in me designed to do if I'm living this out? If I'm uh, learning it, if I'm digesting it, and if I'm living it out, what's the benefit? Is it, is it a benefit to me or is it a benefit to others? Because it says here, the fruit of righteousness, of the righteous, the righteous ones, the fruit of the righteous ones is a tree of life. And then, of course, don't miss the context. He who is wise wins souls. What do we do with this fruit? What are we trying to win? So we'll spend some time on this next week. And we'll look at the other uses in Proverbs and learn what our tree of life is supposed to be. And uh, what do we have? What's the other uh, image? The other image besides the tree of life? Where's the tree of life planted? By the water of life, the river of life? And what does Jesus say about our water? Within us, what's going to spring forth? River. That's right. The springs of life that come out. So there's, there's metaphors we want to understand for what they are. And, and you'll note, it's not limited to the church age. It's not limited to the body of Christ in, in the church age. It's not mystery doctrine. This is Proverbs. This is Old Testament. This is the case for Israel and their stewardship. I believe it was the case for Gentiles and their stewardship. It's going to be the case of the new heavens and the new earth. In the, in the dispensation of the fullness of time, it spans every stewardship where the righteous, the saints, are going to have uh, this, this benefit. So anyway, presently now in time, even now, the literal tree of life has not yet been replanted, but, but there's believers with doctrine. Okay? Do we benefit our culture, our nation? Do we have blessing by association for the United States, for the state of Texas, the city of Austin? What's the impact that we can have? And then uh, verse 31, uh, if the righteous will be rewarded in the earth, how much more the wicked in the sinner? If the righteous will be rewarded in the earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? 
And so we have to learn about proportionality and uh, the, the uh, consequences there of the righteous and the wicked. So we'll deal with that next week as well. All right. Any questions? Comments? Yes, sir. <laughs> let me repeat that because I wasn't on the microphone. Um, there is an antithesis, the, the black sheep of the family, if the family is an unbeliever, an unbelieving family, right? So maybe it's a black sheep family with one white sheep, <laughs> right? It's the, uh, who was the girl in the, uh, the Munsters? They had that ugly daughter, right? And of course, that was the joke of the whole thing was because you have a bunch of monsters. The, the, you ever watch the Munsters? You know what I'm talking about? So the vampire and the, the Frankenstein and the little wolf boy and, and, and the whole family full of freaks. And then the daughter was, they called her the ugly one, right? Because, yeah, she was blonde and attractive and whatever and obviously not a monster like the rest of them. So you got kind of the reverse pattern of the black sheep where the black sheep is, uh, and, and you're right, I think it's the same application. Though. I think they may, they may get expelled from the, from the uh, inheritance, and uh, and not uh, not be welcome to partake in that may that may very well happen as well, right? Honor killings in, in uh, Muslim culture and different things. You know, Ralph had a couple of uh, Ralph Braun, Pastor Ralph Braun had a couple of rich uncles, and uh, and and they weren't saved. They got saved in their nineties. They got saved before they died. Thank praise God for that. But um, yeah, it was kind of an interesting discussion in the Braun family related to what the inheritance was going to be like for these guys. And, uh, and, and they're, they're pretty host- much hostility to, to Ralph and his ministry um, through the years. So anyway, there's, there's other applications that could be made with respect to that too. <clears throat> so just consider, all right? Just consider it, it, that um, these are the things that Proverbs speak of and these are the things that are, are uh, valid as given in wisdom literature for our application. And if in fact God has provided that you have choices to make for what's going to happen with your estate do you want your estate to support the things of the lord to support the ministry of the word of god to support uh you know do you want your estate do you want your legacy to go to places that that don't honor christ see and that's uh that's not uh that's not uh, a narrow-mindedness of of hate whatever that the 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 militant crowd is going to be mad about okay Anyway, thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your faithfulness. Help us to learn these scriptures and make our application, Father, to be honorable to our parents, to be honorable to the elder generation and meet their needs in their twilight years. And then also, Father, to, uh, to train up the next generation that they uh, will reflect your norms and standards and, uh, and, be, and be quite pleased, Father, with bestowing upon them not only the, the earthly funds, but the, uh, the legacy of, uh, of your ministry in all respects. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.